Let me invite you to take your Bibles now and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. And the words to which I would call your attention this morning are Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. As we read God's word now, we do so as an act of worship. Let's give attention to it. It is inerrant, infallible. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, these are your words They are your infinite wisdom. Uh, They come down to us in the temporal, the eternal, uh, descending, condescending, coming down in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for what purpose? To give wisdom and refreshment to your people. We ask that you'd cause these words by your Spirit to do that very thing this morning. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I don't know about your news feed, but uh, lately in mine, more and more, I'm seeing... Uh, information, uh, contemplation of what is called the metaverse. If you're not familiar with this, you need to get familiar with it because it is your future. Uh, Pretty soon, don't you know, uh, your entire reality is going to be taken up with a pair of goggles existing in a digital world which you can make yourself. Now Mark Zuckerberg, who uh, owns or develops this particular technology, has been demonstrating it recently. Uh, promising us a utopia of sorts, a panacea, the place where all of your burdens, all of your diseases are going to be taken away. He definitely believes that all disease can be healed and done away with, maybe within the next couple of decades. The long-term view is that you and I will eventually live, work, and spend most of our waking hours in the meta. I'm not making this up. But if you think about it for just a moment, doesn't it seem a little like the most natural next step? Do a little little thought experiment with me, if you will. For many years now, I'm not sure exactly how many, we've, we've, we've had Facebook and we've had uh, Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. And, and each of these uh, platforms enables me to create a projection of myself. It's not the real me. That, 
that's the, the virtual me is there. It exists in this digital world. And I interact with people who may or may not actually exist, but, but there they are. And we exist there on those platforms, all of us in this, in this virtual projection of ourselves. In that virtual projection, I get to show you the, the me that I want to exist. It isn't the me that exists with all of my quirks and all of my, my sin and, and the problems that I bring. It's, it's just me and all of my good points, at least as I see them. And as I demand that everyone else see them and acknowledge as well, not only do I believe they're good points, but you better see them as good points as well. It's a virtual reality, and we've been living in this virtual reality for so long now that there are parts of our culture who want to take this out of the virtual reality and bring it into the re real. I enjoy living as an avatar of myself so much up there that I want to live as an avatar of myself down here. And you see, we've made it possible because we have taken any form of objective truth out of reality. And what happens there is there is no such thing as reality. The whole world becomes virtual reality. So it's, it's possible for me to, to say of the avatar of myself in the real world, well, I'm not a man. I'm a woman. And how is that possible? Because I've become so accustomed to living as an avatar of myself that, that it ought to be possible to live that avatar life in the here and now. Because there's no such thing as reality. You see. Now, this is not sufficient. This is rebellion against God in the highest order. Why is that? Well, because God is reality. There is no reality apart from, aside from Him. It cannot be redefined. All men, every single Man, whether Christian or Buddhist or Jew or Hindu or atheist, know this by nature. It is written into the very conscience of a man. And so that the man who, who refuses to acknowledge this lives an existence that is totally rent. It is torn aside because his whole effort to build this virtual reality for himself is to build a reality in which he can deny that which he fundamentally knows. And as we go through the... As we go through the... Sermon on the Mount, don't you see that, that this is what Jesus is trying to show you? He is trying to say to you, people, there is a real, and you're not living in it. Come with me 
to the top of the mountain and look out. Look and perceive and understand my words. That is reality. Let me tell you who you really are. He's been teaching us directly how we must perceive the world. This is what is the real. This is what is true. This is the tangible, the touchable, the knowable. But he's also been indirectly teaching us that our natural perception of the world is flawed and broken. Now, whether you acknowledge that or not, you have a natural inclination to build your own metaverse. To build the world as you think it ought to be, maybe. Usually, actually, always, what you're doing is building a reality in which you are God. In which all of the laws of the universe exist to serve and meet your ends. Jesus is saying to you, that's not real. That universe doesn't exist. The universe where you get to define the rules, where you get to define gender, that universe does not exist. It is a figment of your imagination. It is a fairy story. And so what are we to do about our flawed and broken perspective of the world? I think one of the things that Jesus is teaching us this morning is that you need to ask him for wisdom. You need to ask him for wisdom, for knowledge, and for understanding. When we think about man as he existed way back in time, you can see Adam there in the garden uh, by himself to begin with and then with Eve. And the two of them there, they, they, they were made... In a particular way, God made them with, with knowledge. They actually knew things, but they didn't know things the way that you knew them or know them. Adam knew things as they really are. You see, his mind wasn't affected by blindness. And so every fact that he learned, he knew truly. Why? Because he connected every fact to God, its creator of all facts. But you and I don't have that reality anymore. Adam fell. Adam sinned. And his mind became darkened as we read in Romans chapter 1. No longer do we love truth. Do I pick up an acorn? I take it apart. I look at it. I understand it scientifically. And I see the facts of that acorn. And I see the glory of God imprinted upon it. Now I, I struggle. How does this work? What does this mean? And inevitably, I believe that the facts of that acorn lead me back to believe that life is meaningless. But it isn't. And this morning, as we look at Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11, Christ would have you understand. First, that you need wisdom. You need wisdom. Wisdom, you need to grow in knowledge, you need to grow up, you need to mature in the way that you think about things, in the way that you process the facts of the universe. You and I need that. And that those who desire 
wisdom, those who desire knowledge, you have to ask for it. You have to ask for wisdom. And those who ask for it will receive it. And those who receive it will continue asking for it and you will be filled. It's a very simple premise. Notice that this passage, it comes in a section of the Sermon on the Mount that deals with heavenly wisdom versus earthly wisdom. We've been dealing with that for several weeks. uh, Going back all the way to verse 19. Don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth. You see what Jesus is doing there. He's trying to teach you about investment. This is a a basic human instinct, right? How am I going to provide for my family in the future? We've been talking about this. What's going to happen when gas reaches $7 a gallon and groceries are so expensive that it's twice our budget? How do we prepare for that right now? That's not unique. Humans have been doing that since Adam. And Jesus is telling you, there's a right way and a wrong way to go about that. It's all about perspective. It's all about perspective in your investment, in who you are, in uh, uh, dealing with uh, your worry and anxiety in life. It's about perspective, about judging others. How do I, how do I uh, keep in check my desire to be critical of other people while being very gracious toward myself? And Jesus says to you, it's about perspective. Don't give to the dogs what is holy. It's about perspective, understanding the ungodly world. That's the connection with this passage. Some struggle to to make that connection. How does this all fit in? Ask, seek, and knock. How does this instruction about prayer go with what goes before? Well, it goes in this way, that you and I, as we think about earthly perspective and heavenly perspective, I fundamentally lack a heavenly perspective, and I need it. I need it. And where does it come from? Jesus, help me. He says to you, ask for it. And not only ask for it, seek it. And not only seek it, but knock for it. By remembering that Christ has been teaching us the need for biblical perspective and uh, and relating prayer to growth and wisdom. That's how we connect these two. Prayer and growth and wisdom are inseparable. Notice the first thing that Jesus says here in verses 7 to 8. Christ commands you to pray. It doesn't get any simpler than that. And this is natural. He's been giving us all of these commands, hasn't he? He's commanded us and then he's giving us reasons for these commands because we're reasonable people. We're not animals. And notice what the commands are. Verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you, there are the commands. Ask, seek, and knock. And the first thing you recognize from these, these commands is, is what? Well, it is God's will for you to pray. God earnestly desires you to pray to him. You think about James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. You remember the scenario there. There's a church. They are fighting and quarreling with one another and trying to figure out where where all these quarrels and fighting come from? Where do the wars come from? And James says, well, don't you understand that the fighting and the quarrels and the wars come from you? Um, 
You're not asking for what you need. And you don't have, you're not receiving things because you're asking for them in the wrong way. So Jesus is teaching us here that by bringing our request to God, he helps us to do a couple of things. He helps us to distinguish between those things that are needs and the things that are wants. He enables me to distinguish between what is a want and a need. When you pray for the people in Ukraine and you pray for a Disney World trip, it's pretty easy to prioritize that list. He enables you to evaluate your motivation for asking. Don't you see, you get on your knees before the Lord. You you go into your prayer closet. You bow down before Him. And you begin to open up your heart to the Lord. And even in that moment, as you pray, He is imparting wisdom to you. He is helping you by His Spirit to pray the right way. God is teaching you. In your prayer life, He is enabling you to grow in wisdom. And so the main thing, the main thing that God wants you to seek Him for is wisdom. The one who seeks, the one who asks, the one who knocks is the one who gets this wisdom. Notice what we have in verse 8. Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds And to the one who knocks, it will be opened to him. What he's telling you by that construction, the one who, the one who, the one who, is as if to say, this one and only this one. There's an idea of exclusivity here. They and only they are the ones who are going to receive. That's the reason that James in chapter 4 can say, you do not have because you don't ask. Why are there foolish people in the world? Well, because we are fundamentally disconnected from God and His wisdom. We don't think His thoughts after Him. We don't look upon His world the way that He looks upon it. We imagine what is true until we come to Christ, until He opens the eyes of your heart, until you seek Him for wisdom. And He imparts it to you and He enables you to take off the lenses of sin and to see things from the top of the mountain as they really are. God wants to give you wisdom. So what do we take away from this part? Well, the truly wise man will be a man of constant prayer. You can make a lot of the way that Jesus says what he does because he uses the present tense. And you learn that in the present tense, whenever a a Greek writer uses the present tense, he's indicating something that goes on and on. So the idea might be ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and it will be opened To you, there's a sense in which then the wise man is a man of constant prayer. You keep praying. You keep pursuing the Lord. And what are you doing when you do that? Acknowledging that you and only you have the ability to give me what I need. 
But the command is to ask and go on asking. This, the wise man, then he's not wise simply because he prays. He's wise because God is pleased to answer his prayer. He is going to the one who is the source of all wisdom. This is an amazing thing to think about. You and I, we wonder, what do I do next? Do I go and do I buy a big storage tank? Do I spend hundreds of dollars so that I can put uh, hundreds of gallons of fuel in there because tomorrow it's going to be $8 a gallon? Is that a wise thing to do? God, God can lead you in that. He leads you to wise decisions. Notice one other thing here under this heading. Notice that the promise is to all who pray. Do you notice that in verse 8? For everyone who asks and keeps on asking receives. If you've been waiting for an invitation to pray, here it is. If you have been slack in your discipline to pray, if you haven't been asking the Lord for wisdom in your life for the decisions that you have to make, if you haven't been asking Him, here's the invitation. Repent and come back. Begin now. Now is the time to begin praying to seek the Lord. And if you've never prayed to Him in the first place, now is the time. Here is the invitation. Everyone who asks and keeps on asking will receive. It doesn't get any plainer to that, than that. In prayer, you know what God will do for you? He's going to raise you up above the clamor and above the confusion that surrounds your life to focus your mind on the things that matter, on the things that are eternal. He's going to give you perspective. He's going to give you focus. And He's going to give you comfort. That's His will. And notice secondly, not only does Christ command you to pray, but He promises an answer in verse 8. Those who ask will receive. We don't go over that lightly, do we? Those who ask will receive. Uh, Those who seek will find. And those who knock will have it opened unto them. We find in this that God, He loves to pour out His wisdom on those who come to Him asking for it. He loves to give it to you. He loves it when His people say, Lord, teach us. Show us the way. Help us to find the right way. That is a prayer that God delights in. That He delights to answer. Turn over with me for a second. Hold your finger here and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13, we read, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. You see a similarity in language here. 
Christ, the wise teacher, giving us wisdom in his teaching. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one, notice, who gets understanding. This is a man who maybe goes to the marketplace and he takes his money with him and there's an exchange of money for wisdom. He gets it. He seeks it. He pursues it. Verse 14, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. Why? Why? Why is it better? Because one goes into the grave with you and one you leave behind. Wisdom goes into the grave with you. One pursues you into eternity. One is an inheritance that you will never lose. Wisdom goes with you. Wealth does not. Verse 15, she is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Why? Because she's eternal. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. You see, here it is. God, with wisdom and understanding and knowledge, He has filled His creation with it. It is the reality. It is the fabric with which He built creation. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. God delights to pour out this wisdom upon you. He delights to give you that investment which you cannot lose. So you and I, we, you have to come to the place where you, you recognize that you need wisdom. Where you recognize, actually, I understand, I'm not, I don't process everything the way that I ought to. I, I look at the war in Ukraine, and to me, it looks like total chaos. It looks like a savage man who is, for reasons only known to him, carrying out wicked intentions. And that's all I can see. And to me, it looks, is it hopeful? Bless, is it hopeful? What's going to come about? Is this going to bring about World War III? Are prices going to rise? People are going to die? Are our jobs going to be restored? How many refugees are there going to be? And for, for you and me, it looks like total chaos. And we seek the Lord in prayer, and He raises me up to the plane of wisdom, and He reminded, reminds me, as His child, He says to me, all things work together for good. Don't you understand that none of my promises can fail? Don't you understand that I am the keeper of the church of Jesus Christ? Don't you understand that all things are working together for the good of my church? That the gates of hell cannot prevail against it? You see, this is what he does for us. He raises us up. He enables us to see things as they really are. And what do we find there? Hope that does not disappoint. And every single circumstance in life needs this wisdom. We need wisdom. More than just walking around sense, do you understand? But to see things as God has created them to be, we need God's perspective on life. And remember the psalmist? In Psalm chapter 1, there's the picture of the two paths. Why don't you turn over there with me? It's very interesting. In the Hebrew Bible, 
there are three sections. Section one, Genesis chapter one, God created day and night. Section two begins with Joshua chapter one, in which Joshua is commanded to meditate on these things, how? Day and night. So we see Genesis 1, day and night. Psalm 1, I'm sorry, Joshua 1, day and night. The third section, Psalm 1, meditate on God's law day and night. It's over and over and over again. Notice in Psalm 1, verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. That's pretty plain. Who am I getting my counsel from? Who's advising me? Who's teaching you how to process life? Who's teaching you the facts of reality? Who is teaching them to you? Is he a man who loves Christ? Because if you're accepting the counsel of wicked men whom Christ calls dogs and pigs, you will not know God's blessing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is God's will for you. And you can see the full picture now. What is the godly man? He's a man who's on his knees, acknowledging, Lord, I'm not an end in and of myself. I don't have wisdom myself. I have a deep need to see things as you see them. And I need you to pour it in for, to me. And so the picture of Psalm 1 is the man who is meditating on, on God's law, reading the Torah, reciting it to himself over and over and over again. Why? Because this is life. Riches, wealth won't accompany me into the grave, but the Torah will. It will go with me. Every word of Scripture will go with me into the grave. And therefore, it's there that I will invest myself. It's at God's doorstep that I will knock and knock and knock and knock and knock until He gives me the wisdom that I need. Let's notice thirdly then, lastly, How will God answer you? We know that he will answer. Do you ever remember the times in your life maybe when your father or your mother let you make a stupid decision? And then was gracious enough to let you experience the consequences of your stupid decision. Hopefully, so that you would not make the same stupid decision again. This is what parents do. And sometimes you would go back to your mother or your father and you say, I, man, I, I really messed it up this time. And your mother or father might say, Yeah, I told you so. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and affirm you are stupid. That was stupid. God will never answer you that way. He answers you as a father, we learn in the last few verses. But he, he answers you as a tender and a loving and a merciful father. Read with me verses 9 through 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. You see, here's, here's a natural reason. Look, I'm looking at all of you people out here, and I know you, I know your hearts, and you know each other, and I know that if your son came to you and he asked you for a little loaf of bread, enough to get him through the day, you're not going to turn around and give him a stone in the shape of a loaf of bread. You're not going to tease him. You at least have that much goodness. Or if he asks you for a fish, you're not going to hand him a basket and he opens a basket and out springs a cobra. Not even you would do that. So Jesus reasons with you. He says, listen, when you think about how your, your heavenly Father loves you and how he will provide for you, there is, there is some parallel with an earthly father. You think of him that way, but greater. Notice another thing very carefully. How does the father answer? Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't say, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him for bread? Why didn't he just answer it that way? Because you and I know that a good father does not always give his children exactly what they ask for. A good father knows what his children need. He knows that his children need bread. He knows exactly how much bread his children need. He knows how to parse that bread out so that the whole family gets bread. He's not going to spoil it. And likewise, no father is going to answer his son by giving him something harmful, is he? And neither will your heavenly father. In James chapter 1, We're instructed, when we don't have joy, when we don't consider it all joy, um, all of our afflictions joyful, we are not instructed to pray for joy. We're instructed to pray for wisdom. And he tells you there to keep on praying, keep on asking for wisdom that God will not give it to you in the King James Version with upbraiding. He's not going to chastise you for asking him for wisdom. He wants you to ask him. He's commanding you to ask him. Notice that next, this fatherly gift of God. A second comparison and a logical conclusion that God is different than you. Verse 11, if you then, being evil, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Jesus is very kind to you. He doesn't tease you. You see, He tells you exactly how things are. You're evil. He's not a prosperity preacher. He's willing to tell you how things are. You're evil. And yet, you know how to give good things to your children. When Christmas rolls around, you, you want to indulge them. You want to show your love. When the, your anniversary rolls around, if you are able to remember it, men, you, you give good gifts. You give good gifts. When birthdays roll around, you give good gifts. You want to display your love. And you're evil. How much more 
your Father in whom is no evil whatsoever able to give you exactly what you need. Your heavenly Father is good and He will give you even better things. He can measure it out to you in the perfect proportion. He gives it to you at exactly the right time. And and so Jesus is showing us the difference between natural parenting and supernatural parenting. There are times when you wonder, okay, Is it right in this moment for me to keep my child from making this bad decision or should I let my child make the bad decision and then guide him as he experiences the consequences because he knows it. God never wonders. He never wonders. He measures to you exactly what you need and exactly the amount that you need it and exactly the time that you need it. He gives it to you when? If you are asking for it and going on asking for it. God never wonders. What he ordains for your life is perfect. Absolutely perfect. Inerrant. Infallible. Here's what we wrestle with. You remember... We pictured Adam a little bit ago. Now let's picture Eve in the garden. And the serpent slithers up to her and he presents this temptation to her. And what is at root, what is he asking her to question? He's asking her to question the goodness of God. Eve, don't you know if God really loved you, he'd have let you eat from this tree. Don't you know he is withholding something good from you? And you and I wonder that too, don't we? Man, I've been praying for eight years, eight years for God to answer this prayer. Are you listening? Anybody up there? And in the back of your mind, you begin to question, is God good? Does he love me? Maybe he, maybe he like like Baal, maybe he's indisposed, he's in the outhouse right now and he can't hear me. And you begin to question, don't you? God's withholding something good from me. I need this and I need it right now. I need this comfort. I need this understanding. I need this wisdom. I need to know how to do this. And I question God's character. And I find that even in this, I need wisdom. I need the wisdom to say, you know what? I don't know what is perfect and best. Lord, teach me to wait upon you. Give me the wisdom to wait when you call me to wait for an answer and to go on. To know that the, give, me, give me the wisdom, Father, to know that the way you are answering my circumstance right now is perfectly wise. Give me the wisdom to understand that I actually don't want you to answer every prayer the way I want it to be answered. You see, that's wisdom. Those who desire wisdom must ask for it. Those who ask for it will receive it. And those who receive it will continue asking for it and will be filled. Life life is not virtual reality. It is a reality created and defined by God. 
He has determined how his creation is to function. The laws of gravity are his laws. The laws of thermodynamics are his laws. The laws of gender are his laws. The laws of relationships are his laws. The laws of sickness and health are his laws. Therefore, he beckons you this morning as his child to come to him, to sit at his feet in prayer, to knock at his doorstep, and to receive wisdom. Will you heed the invitation? Let's pray. Father, you're so right to call us sheep. We find ourselves pulled by every emotion this way and that, the ups and downs in life, and we're We're so quick to conform ourselves to whatever our emotions tell us. Father, so what we need is wisdom and we come asking together this morning as a body of Christ in covenant fellowship with one another and with Christ our Lord. And we ask you for wisdom. We need it. Lord, we, we want to see, we want to see the church full. But we lack the wisdom to wait upon you for that. We want to see wars end. We think we know how to end them. Sometimes we find that the way that we implement to end a war only fans the flame. Will sanctions work? Will it drive the people of Russia even closer to their only ally, their president? We don't know. But Father, we, we come to you. You have infinite wisdom and knowledge. You have ordained all things from before the foundation of the earth. So we come to you through Christ Jesus, our Lord, asking that you would give us wisdom. Give us wisdom, Father. We plead with you for it. Teach us. We sit at your doorstep this morning asking you, our Father, as your children, to lead us in the ways of righteousness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.